Thanks for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show, and thanks for all your adulation and the, the nice things you say about the show. Make sure you tell other people to listen to the show, even if it, you just podcast it. Um, Bernie Sanders is running for president in 2020, and Trump is saying, wow, a lot of people are running. A lot of people are trying to get me out of office. Trump may not even make it to 2020. I mean, with all the crap that's swirling around this man, I don't see how he 
makes it to 2020, especially when Mueller's uh, final report in Russia and his crimes are about to come out. I don't see how how he can make it to 2020. You know, I mean, him and Pence. I mean, Pence and Donald Trump. I mean, they're like Siamese twins when it comes to crime, uh, corruption, thuggery, treason. I mean, they are like joined at the hip on this. Anyway, um, Bernie Sanders is uh, running for president. And uh, some people are... (laughs) Excuse me. Some people are happy about that. Some people are not happy about that. But that's what's happening. Now, I didn't vote for Bernie Sanders last time. I voted for Hillary Clinton. But hey, wow. Uh, My vote is either going to go for Bernie Sanders or it's going to go to uh, Kamala Harris. And we have a thinking of uh, about voting. We have a. Uh, an election here in the city of Chicago, the mayor's election. Yeah, we have an election right now. There's early voting in the city of Chicago, and I'm hearing that early voting is down, extremely down. What is wrong with you people? Get your butts up off your butts and get out here and vote. I mean, I railed about people not voting uh, in in the last two years. People they just don't vote. This is what this is how we get Donald Trump. This is how we get the Republicans. And this is how Republicans screw everything up for you. Take away your happiness. Take away everything. They don't want to see you get paid. The Republicans shut down under Donald Trump. Uh, I think this is the third or fourth time there's been a government shutdown since Donald Trump has been president. People get out there and vote. Whatever your reasoning is for not voting, it's not going to hold water. I've said this a thousand times. If you do not vote, your vote is still going to be used by those who will misuse your vote, abuse your vote, whatever you want. It's going to be used by someone else. So you don't want nobody using your vote uh, in a way you don't want to use it. I can understand, well, I'm a Christian, I can't vote. Well, I'm a Jehovah Witness, I cannot vote. Well, I don't celebrate holidays. Is this that's some sort of great thing not to do, is to celebrate holidays or, or not to vote? It's crazy, it's stupid, it's dumb. It's crazy, it's stupid, it's dumb, especially in this day and age in America. Every vote counts. Whatever excuse that you may be giving for not voting doesn't hold water. I mean, if you want to say uh, my religion because of my religion, I don't vote. What What are the rest of us supposed to say? Well, then, okay, all right, if, if it's your religion, no, we're going to say you're dumb, stupid, and you're ignorant, and you don't, and you do not care about your country. This is about your country. This is about the, if you don't want to vote for yourself, then vote for everybody else. Vote for vote for the people who. Uh, going to need those social programs. Go vote for the people who's going to need their Social Security and Medicaid and, and, and all of that other kind of stuff, food stamps. Vote for those kind of people. Who's, vote for other people. But use your vote because your vote, if you don't use it, I'm not voting. I don't give a damn about voting. Uh, voting? What is that? You have, and this is what the Republicans want. They want to keep you dumb. 
They want to keep you stupid. They want to keep you ignorant. They don't want you to vote. You're doing exactly what the Republicans want you to do, not vote. Because because if you don't vote, that means they are going to get in uh, office and they're going to take away (laughs) your freedom of speech. It just doesn't make any sense for people not to get out here and vote. I mean, in the city of Chicago, uh, voter registration, voter turnout is so dismal for, for the mayor's race here. It's, it's appalling. It's appalling. People are saying, well, and, and in some cases, no matter how much you uh, shout and yell and scream that people should vote, they're not going to vote because they're just don't. I mean, they don't care. But they want their food stamps. They want their uh, health care and Medicare. They want their Social Security. They want their welfare check. They want their rental assistance. But they won't vote. They won't vote to keep it. You're living off the government, uh, even if you're working for the IRS. If you're living off the government, get your butt out there and vote. Do your duty. But I got, I'm in a religion, and my religion says I don't want to vote. So. It's dumb. It's crazy. It's ill thought of. It, it's just your religion is not going to save you if when the Republicans take care, uh, take away your health care, your Medicare, your Social Security, your house, your home. Republicans don't give a damn if you own a house or if you 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 drive in the greatest looking car in the world. All they know is you're not rich like they are. And you have to work for it. They don't care how cute you are, how young you are. It's so many people right now who are filing their taxes and their tax returns, they're getting a low, low, low tax refund. And in some cases, people are getting bills saying that they owe taxes. This is because of Donald Trump and the Republicans, you don't want that. You want you want to get a, a sizable uh, uh, tax refund. Get out there and vote. You have to vote. I know some people that are, are, are at the sound of my voice is going to say, oh, "No, we ain't no, uh, uh-uh, no." I ran into one young lady the other day. I think it was maybe it was last year and. And I, I had just came from voting, my son, uh, we had just came from voting, and this young lady uh, was asked, uh, did she vote? And she looked at us like, you know, if, as if we were crazy. You know, as if she said, she said it this way, no, I didn't vote. No, I did not vote. And then she walked on and threw her head back as if not voting was, was something that was so monumental that was something that was great but hey we voted she was the stupid one we were the smart ones she was so stupid she didn't even know she was stupid busy trying to be cute busy trying to look pretty busy trying to get uh the guys to look at her but she couldn't get take her butt up there i guess she felt she was too cute or too fine to go upstairs to uh to the voting booth and, and cast a vote that's crazy. But that's the way I saw that, that particular event. But, you know, even you, you even have some seniors out here that will not go out here and vote. If they do vote, they're going to vote for the wrong guy. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I am really livid about there being a low voter turnout in the city of Chicago. But, you know, in the midterms, there was people were um, out and about all over the place in the midterms. They, they ran to the polls <laughs> during the midterms. But I think that the midterms and the presidential elections are probably the most time that people will turn out uh, to vote. These uh, uh, local elections, people hardly give them any credence, but they should think twice. They should think twice. We got rid of Bruce Rauner because he he practically shut down. In the beginning, he practically shut down uh, the state of Illinois without signing, uh, I think, believe two or three state budgets. We were in the red, but we got rid of him. But we have a mayor election uh, right now, and there is a low, very low, 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 low turnout. Uh, next week from the date of this show, we're going to have a new mayor. Hey, wow, and this new mayor just might win by 50 votes, just 50 votes, because that's how low the turnout is, which is totally, totally ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if by the sound of my voice, those people who do not vote, if I'm going to convince them to get out there and vote. Probably not. But anyway, let me say this. You don't vote. Your vote is a vote for a Republican. And we all know what these Republicans are about. They are about ending your happiness, ending America as we know it, taking away your free speech, taking away your license and your credentials if you criticize them taking away your freedoms, but you still will not get your butts out there and vote. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, um, the mayor's race, uh, we're going to have a new mayor maybe between the 25th and 26th of February. So from the date of the show, um, there's – we have a week to try to get people out there to the polls. I haven't voted yet, but I know I know I'm going to. I'm going to, but there's so many people out here who who um I love you. Who will not vote, no matter what. I mean if it's their religion or, or something else, they're steadfast. They're not gonna vote. And I was talking to someone today, a young lady today, and I was telling her I think some of the some of these religions just control people. Control people. People are dumb enough to let themselves be controlled by a cult. It's all it is is controlling. They want to tell you where to go, what to do, who to talk to, who not to talk to, what to say, what to read. You, I mean, when when a cult or religion has gotten you that way, you are being controlled. You're not yourself. You're not doing what you want to do. You're doing what that cult wants you to do. You're doing what that religion wants you to do. And the next thing you know, they're going to be asking you to write them checks. And from what I'm hearing, some of these churches 
will not come and help out their congregation when their congregation is in need of something, maybe food or pay a bill or something. The congregation wants money from you, but they don't want to give money uh, back to you. And a lot of these congregations that are giving money to these uh, jackleg preachers and these ministers and these pastors, all of these people are doing is pocketing that money, pocketing that money, saying something nice to you, saying something great or saying something uh, uh, positive, getting you to say amen while they're saying amen, pass around the plate. Now you can go. Come back tomorrow. We're going to pass that plate around again. Get out there and vote. Stop letting yourself be controlled. Controlled. That's your life. You control your life. No one else should be able to control your life. Why do you think so many people do not have businesses? They don't have businesses because they're letting too many other people control their lives. Control your life. Open up your own business. Tell everybody else to go straight to hell. And that, and that goes for your religion, too. No, let no one control your life. Let no one tell you what to do, how to do it, what to say, who to talk to, who not to talk to, what to believe in and what not to believe in, what to celebrate and what not to celebrate, because it's a bunch of BS. It's your life. You do what you enjoy. But a lot of people out there enjoy being controlled. They want to be controlled. They're listening to me right now and say, wow, he's crazy. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe. No, it doesn't matter if I believe or not. I'm not going to let myself be controlled by a bunch of people who are probably con people, conning you, saying nice things, sweet things, saying things that you, they get you to say amen when they're at the end of that sermon, they're passing around the plate. They don't want a, uh, a, a coins or a few bucks. They want you to write a, a check so that pastor can go out and buy him a brand new car, a brand new jet, put another wing onto the church while he's screwing everybody in the congregation. Give yourself a break and get out here and vote and change, change, change your country. Change your country. It's about America. You don't fight for your country. You do not deserve to be here. You don't vote. You shouldn't call yourself an American, period. You don't vote. You should not be here. You don't like the way things are going in America and, you, and you're not a part of the change or you don't want to be a part of the change, you should leave. And that's the truth. If you don't fight for your country, why stay in your country? The Republicans do not give a damn about you because you, you have a good job. They don't give a damn about you because uh, you have a house out here in the suburbs. They don't care if you're sending your kids to college. All they know is that you're not rich like them and you can't give to their re-election campaign. You, you're not one of their donors, their rich donors. That's all they know. Republicans think if you're working for a living, if you're working for a living to take care of your family, you're dumb and stupid because you didn't do what it had, that you didn't do what it took 
to be rich like they are. The only way you can change this country is to vote. You don't vote, you have no say in your government. And a lot of people do not have say in their government. And I was talking to someone today. She seemed like she seemed to me as a person who who would not vote. But when I and because simply because I tried to talk to her about voting, I tried to talk to her about what's going on in the country today. And she's just trying to she just acted as as if she didn't want to talk about it. That told me right there that this woman did not vote. Because she doesn't really know what's going on in her country or she just doesn't care. And she doesn't, uh, she's not a voter and she's not seeking to change the direction of the country. She's just waiting on her next paycheck from her job. The hell with, the hell with what's going on in the country. Give me my che- paycheck so I can go take a vacation. We, we have to stop that type of mentality. Voting is very, very important. Voting is very important. It really is. It transcends any religion. Because most of that stuff is just, let me put it this way, garbage. Garbage. How many times have you heard a Christian or evangelicals uh, uh, Christian, Catholic people. How many times have you heard these people committing crimes in the name of God, in the name of uh, of having you donate? How many uh, children do you think these people have molested? You've heard about the the Vatican, the Pope condemning all of these pastors and and. Christians and all of these Catholics, so-called Catholics, the believers of Jesus and Christ, Jesus and Jesus and God, out here raping young boys. That's that's enough right there to, to turn you away from any church. But it's not only happening with Christians; it's also happening with Protestants, Baptists, you name it. Any nomination. Of religion, there is corruption right there, and you got these people out there in the audience, just so gullible and stupid, and just handing over their hard, their hard-earned money to a con man or a con woman standing up there at the podium in some church, talking, uh, 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 reading some verse or passage from the Bible, which they themselves do not believe in, but they have to pretend like they believe so they can get you to give your money to that church. Wake up, people. Get out there and vote. Bernie Sanders is running for president. I'll be, I'm hey, voting for Sanders. Hey, voting for Sanders. I'm, I, I think in a presidential election, as in the midterms, where people voted because they knew if they didn't vote, the Republicans, uh, the Constitution would be shredded, literally shredded in front of our eyes. But we stopped it. With the midterms, because we won the House of Representatives, but I'm speaking right now to the voters uh, of the of the city of Chicago. Get your asses out there and vote, 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 vote. There's nothing. There's not. There's really no effort in going to the polls. Some people say, "Well, it's cold outside, Mr. Wilder. I'm not voting. It's too cold to go vote." 
<laughs> no, it's not. It's not too cold to go vote. Um, like I said before, the voting is from the date of the show. Voting is uh, in about you know uh, two and a half. I mean, it's early voting now. People can early vote now, but uh, on the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, we actually elect the mayor. If it doesn't go into a runoff or anything like that, because of the very, 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 very low voter count uh, um, turnout. But I don't want to jump the gun on this thing because uh, early voting just actually started and it could probably pick up from day to day to day to day until, you know, until a mayor is elected. Uh, But as of now, it is very, very dismal in the city of Chicago. And we do need a good, good mayor. There's about, I don't know, 15 people running for mayor in the city of Chicago. As I'm speaking, uh, we need to get out there and vote, Chicago. We need to get the hell out there and vote. Don't get stupid and dumb and say, well, I'm not voting. I don't know them peepers. I ain't peepers. <laughs> I heard someone say that today, peepers. Uh, All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, and I'm saying get out there and vote, Chicago. We need a good mayor. We need we need people to – there need to be a heavy turnout. That's what there need to be, not not a, a lazy turnout. Voting, 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 voting. Forget about your religion. Uh, nobody's going to tell anybody that you voted if you need to sneak and vote. I don't understand it, though. I really don't understand how people can just let themselves be controlled. Told what to do, told when to sit down, told what, where to go, told what to read. And then on Sunday morning, they're told to write a check for whatever to put in the pastor's pocket. It's just outrageous. <laughs> but people are, I was telling this young lady that I said, well, people are stupid. People and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I just think people are just, they don't think. They don't think. They don't think. All right, all right you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to be right back. Um, we're going to be right back. We don't have a guest on the show today. So, you know, I, I didn't book, book anybody. So um, we'll be right back. We're going to do, uh, this, this is, Steve Smith, I believe. Polls show a majority of Americans disapprove of Donald Trump's performance as president, while Republicans are more loyal to him right now than any president's own party unity since the GOP rallied around Bush after 9-11. My next guest worked many Republican campaigns but opposes Trump's uh, policies and left the party over them. That's political strategist Steve Schmidt, who joins me in a moment. Now, Donald Trump not only polarizes people's feelings, he polarizes the very perception of reality out there, and he knows it. Consider Trump today in Kansas City warning people if they don't see the economy improving with their own eyes, it's because what they see is not real. This country is doing better than it's ever done before economically, but it's all working out. And just remember, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. While many politicians, of course, cherry-pick information, Trump's blatant request that people ignore their own eyes could literally be ripped 
from George Orwell's famous dystopian novel, 1984, which cast partisan censorship of truth as the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. Now, liberals have long attacked Trump as bad for working people, a con man who ran on populism but governed for the 1%, a kind of a policy thief. Another critique is that Trump is actually challenging something more valuable than property, our sense of reality itself. Consider another dystopian writer, Curtis Jackson, who said, hate a liar more than I hate a thief. A thief is only after my salary. A liar is after my reality. In fact, in that same song, there is another axiom, quote, here's a jewel, love your enemies and hate your friends. Your enemies remain the same. Friends always change. And some of the friends who know Trump best are changing. Michael Cohen, Rick Gates, Mike Flynn. Meanwhile, Trump's wider cast of political friends, if you want to call them that, Republicans who never met him around the country, they're standing strong tonight and appear down with his reality. I'm joined by Steve Schmidt. Uh, Steve, what do you think Trump is doing and is he aware to some degree that denying the publicly reported reality is key to his reelection? Of course, Ari, you talked about 1984. There's the famous scene at the end of the book where Winston is being tortured and the party official is holding up four fingers and says to Winston, how many fingers am I holding up? And Winston being tortured in tears says, I only see four, I see four. And the party official says, it could be three or it could be five. It's what the party tells you it is. And so it's not just that Trump is assaulting objective truth, this is a political strategy. This is about a demand for obedience. This is the transformation of a smaller Republican Party into a cult of personality where what the leader says is true is true. What the leader feels to be true is true. And if you can subordinate reality at the command of a political leader, you are no longer functionally living in a democracy, whether it's inside the United States or not. For a faction of this country, they have surrendered their sovereignty, their intellectual autonomy to Donald Trump. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I can't explain why, if you were to join a cult, why he would be the cult leader that you would line up and follow. That, that being said, though, when you're able to convince somebody what is certainly true is not, when you can embrace the big lie with the same type of effectiveness that fascist movements used it, that Hitler used it, that Mussolini used it, that Soviets used it, then you are well on your way to doing grave and lasting damage to the fundamental institutional pillars of a democratic mm. republic like the United States. And this president does not stand accused uh, of the conduct of some of those regimes, but with regard to the information there, the propaganda efforts, this seems to be where uh, Trump's approach and his insistence uh, that things that are true are false relates to the way he's uh, allegedly abusing the powers of the executive to control who has access to information to legitimize who can speak about national security and who can't, which dovetails back uh, with the security clearance story. For your reaction, take a look at Sarah Sanders on that. Is Russia still targeting the U.S., Mr. President? Thank Press, you very let's much. go. Make your way out. No, no, no. You had a chance to speak with the president after uh, his comments, and the president was said thank you very much and was saying no to answering questions. Yeah, I didn't know that. 
The President is exploring these mechanisms to resume. Uh, remove security clearance because they've politicized and in some cases actually monetized their public service and their security clearances and making baseless accusations of improper contact with Russia or being influenced by Russia against gibberish. the president is extremely gibberish. inappropriate. Sounds like gibberish. Ari, it's not just that there's no other spokesperson for the executive seat of power in a democratic republic anywhere in the world where you see that type of lying, it's that there has never been a spokesperson for the executive seat in power who is such a prolific liar as Sarah Sanders. She is straight out of Baghdad, Bob. Uh, it, it's truly remarkable the magnitude of her daily, her daily lying. But look, this is all part of a political strategy, and I've talked about it before. Trump uses mass rallies and constant lying to incite fervor in a political base. Two, he scapegoats minority populations and casts them to be blamed for every problem in the world. Three, he allows for his supporters to feel victimized, to feel victimized by the scapegoated populations. Everyone is a victim in Trump nation by design. It's part of the fuel. Uh, the last thing is the conspiracy. The coordination of the conspiracy between the deep state, the nefarious sources, the people when he talked about, for example, uh, Clapper, someone got to him yesterday. And then lastly, the assertion that Trump is above the law by Trump himself, that Trump defines what is reality, that Trump defines what's truth, and that Trump asserts heretofore un unasserted un, un, un powers for the executive in the United States that, that have never been asserted in history before. I mean, these five things are happening. They're happening on a daily basis. The assault on the press, on the free media. We still have a First Amendment in this country, but he is as hostile to the free media as any president has ever been and any president could conceivably be in the United States. Hey everybody, the George Wilder Jimmy Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of Illinois on the north side of the great, great city of Chicago. We are now on the air. Fun time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Have a great time.
resulted to extortion in an attempt to get the Democratic Party to do exactly what he wants them to do. And in an interview published in the Washington Post this past Thursday, Schultz laid out his plan very clearly. He says, if the Democrats will just nominate a centrist, I won't blow up the 2020 presidential election. How about that, folks? I won't destroy everything and help reelect Donald Trump as long as Democrats nominate someone who's not going to raise my taxes. That is what Schultz is saying here. Now, here's the, the exact quote, the word for word here. I would reassess the situation if the numbers change as a result of a centrist Democrat winning the nomination. Now, Schultz claims in this interview that his internal polling shows that he is a, a strong contender that he totally has a shot at winning the presidency, uh, which is funny because I'm wondering what polling data he's using because what we see on the national scale right now is he has 4%, 4%, and yet he says his internal polling is, is totally so much better than that, but it would likely go down if a centrist Democrat were to get the nomination. Um, that's a lie. That is 100% not true, and Howard Schultz knows that. Howard Schultz, again, is trying to extort the Democratic Party, telling them to push out progressives, people who want the change that a majority of people in this country are clamoring for, all because he doesn't want to pay higher taxes. That is 100% what this is about, and that is the only reason why Howard Schultz is even considering running for president right now. Now, again, he still has not announced that he is officially running for president. But he has hired staffers, he's hired advisors, and he's got this whole little internal campaign going right now. But he has not yet officially said, I am running for president, I have filed the paperwork, let's do the damn thing. And that's good. What he's trying to do right now, because I don't believe this man actually wants to run for president, I think he knows he has no shot, but he wants to try to use what little bit of sway he has 
to convince the Democrats to push out the progressives. You know, the people who say we, we're going to have Medicare for all. The people who say we're going to raise taxes on the wealthy. We're going to put a wealth tax in place. We're going to put a new marginal tax rate in place of 70 to 80%, maybe even higher. Who knows? And that's what terrifies Schultz. He does not want these progressive policies to become a reality in the United States, even though a majority of the public from both sides actually want these things to happen. See, here's my take on the whole thing. I don't think if Schultz ran, he would blow up the Democratic side. What Schultz is going to do, because let's face it, the guy's a moderate Republican, he's going to siphon votes away from Donald Trump. Now, I know he would get some Democratic votes. I understand that. But I believe he would draw more votes from the Republican side than he would from the Democratic side because we have seen how energized and happy the Democrats are with these new progressive politicians, the new progressive policies, and the leftward lurch of the overall political system that we're building right now. They like that. They don't like Howard Schultz's. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, they hate Donald Trump. Yeah, he's got a pretty high approval rating just among Republicans. But the whispers, the stirring, the people out there being interviewed saying, I can't believe I voted for this guy. I feel like I was tricked by the devil, was a quote from one former Trump supporter. They would be far more likely to support a Howard Schultz than they would to completely cross the aisle and go vote for a Democrat. And that is why I believe that Howard Schultz would end up drawing more votes off Trump, thereby helping the eventual Democratic nominee. But who knows? The bottom line is I don't want this guy to run for president at all. He is a jackass. He is a greedy multi-billionaire who only wants to preserve himself and his fortune. And that is why he wants to run for president. And that is why he should immediately be disqualified from ever seeking the office of the presidency. All right, I totally, totally agree. Um, this Howard Schultz guy, I mean, he is bad news for the Democrats. And how did he make his fortune? He made his fortune selling coffee, Starbucks. And I guess he feels he's rich enough to buy the election because that's what he wants to do. He wants to buy it. And at 4% polling, <laughs> he better go have himself another cup of coffee. All right, we'll be right back. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You And joy. And I'm telling the world, you're 
evening, my fellow Americans, and happy Lunar New Year. I'm Stacey Abrams, and I'm honored to join the conversation about the state of our union. Growing up, my family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone tired, my parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. These were our family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, my mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, my mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. 
Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to health care to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt, because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. Maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies, and save lives. We can do so much more. Take action on climate change. Defend individual liberties with fair-minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not 
And we cannot accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truth, and where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieves a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So even as I am very disappointed by the president's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment, to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America wins by fighting for our shared values against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That is who we are. And when we do so, never wavering, the state of our union will always be strong. Thank you, and may God bless Thank the you. United States of America. Thank you, Stacey, for being on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, I want to get back to uh, Chicago and voting. I want to get back to Chicago and such a low voter turnout starting today. Well, actually not today. Uh, a few days ago. Uh, early voting started a few days ago and it's been very, very dismal and it's been very, very disappointing. And um, wow. Wow. It's been very disappointing, and I would like to say for for uh, people out there listening to this, share this uh, uh, link with those folks in in the city Chicago, in the city of Chicago, excuse me, uh, and uh, try to encourage people to vote. Um, get out there and do their duty. I mean, it's your duty to vote. You're an American. You your duty is to vote. It's in the Constitution, regardless of your religion. It, uh, you know. Uh, 
I don't mean to bash anybody's religion, but it's 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 stupid to use that to uh, uh, not to do what you're supposed to be doing uh, when it comes to taking back your country. Taking back your country. Oh, all right. Let's talk about this uh, Jesse Smollett thing. It this is just <laughs> this is just growing by leaps and bounds. Brothers previously suspected in the Smollett case met with the cops and prosecutors. But no Jesse. I mean, you just know this guy is guilty. I mean, if he wasn't guilty, if he didn't stage this, if it wasn't him, if he didn't pay these guys, which he says he did not, why not talk to the police? I mean, if it was me and I'm knowing that this, all of this stuff is is uh, not true, it's it's corny, you know, and everything else, it's not true, I would immediately go talk to the cops because I know that I'm innocent. But this guy will not go and talk to the police. They just want to talk to him. He will not do it. His lawyers just say not to do it because why? He would incriminate himself, of course. And as I said yesterday on the show, this guy, I knew he, uh, in the beginning, I knew he had somehow fake this. I didn't I didn't come to the thinking that he had actually staged it or orchestrated it, but I knew that it was phony. But when I heard the reports of him actually from the Chicago police actually staging this, actually paying these guys to beat him up and then say that he was attacked in the city of Chicago, uh, I think that that was totally wrong. I mean, Chicago has enough crime, real crime, that we don't need people faking that they were attacked in the city of Chicago just because it's a city of high crime and they will will be believed. He felt that he would be believed because there's so much crime in the city of Chicago that no one was <laughs> no one would. Uh, disbelieve him because there is. I mean, on national on the national news every night, there's always something coming out of Chicago that's a shooting or something. Uh, so he, I guess, he thought he could get away with this. Uh, the two brothers met with police and prosecutors at the uh, courthouse Tuesday, less than a week after they were considered suspects. They are not considered suspects anymore. If they are not considered suspects, regardless of what the police and other people try to say, Jesse Smollett is considered a suspect. They're saying he's neither a suspect or a victim at this point, and they just want to talk to him. Why not go talk to the police? If you're innocent, if people are lying, you want to clear your name, you want to make sure that your uh, career is not damaged? Go talk to the police. If you don't go talk to the police, the world's going to feel that, hey, wow, you're guilty. You staged the attack. You paid them to do it. These two uh, African um, brothers, brothers from Africa, the motherland. And uh, this is so bad and I'm understanding that these brothers, these two African brothers are actually they actually worked on 
the show um, Empire. So why not talk to the police? Of course. Just I mean, this is almost like asking why Trump will not go and talk to Mueller <laughs> and answer questions. Um, guilty. Okay, two brothers previously previously considered suspects in their reported attack of Empire actor Jesse Smollett met with police and Cook County prosecutors at the uh, well. I, we we uh, said this according to police. Okay, a police resort a police source told the Chicago Sometimes that a grand jury a grand jury wow could soon be impaneled to investigate Smollett's now disputed claims that he was a victim of a racist, homophobic attack in Streeterville on January 29th. Streeterville is a community uh, in the city of Chicago. And I believe it's on the north side. Okay. Tuesday's uh, CPD, Chicago Police Department, uh, said the two brothers... At least one whom knew Smollett from working on Empire met with law enforcement officials, uh, though they did not testify. Wow, this is this is just turning and developing, and it's all turning and developing against Jesse Smollett, who is admitted and openly gay. And a lot of people saying this is very, very bad for the gay community, especially the LBGT community, if I pronounce that correctly. Uh, This guy is going to jail. Uh, He is going to lose his – he's going to lose all of his acting jobs. He's going to lose his – star on Empire. They will not cast him anymore. That's from what I'm hearing. His life is unraveling. And he's also a, uh, I think he's a singer, a rapper or something. He he was doing a few shows right after he had actually uh, said that this attack occurred in the city of Chicago. He was on stage <laughs> shaking his little skinny little butt and thinking that all of this I guess thinking that he was going to get away with all of this. Thinking he's going to get away with all of this. And apparently not. Apparently not. I think we have some, I think we have a clip of this. Can you uh, find that clip for me? Or do you need, oh, you want me to find it? (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. We're going to look for that clip of, uh, it's about two or three, I believe. um, I think it's about two or three days old, but it's still, um, Revelant to what's going on today. Okay, we're looking for that clip. Yeah, this guy is in total, total, a lot of hot water. I would not want to be in his shoes right now. I would not want to be in his shoes right now. I don't think anybody would. Was it a hate crime or a hoax? Law enforcement sources tell CNN the Chicago police now believe that Empire actor Jesse Smollett paid two men to orchestrate an attack on him. 
Smollett's attorneys deny that the actor played any role in his own attack. So joining us now to talk about all this is Charles Blow. He's an opinion columnist for The New York Times, and Brian Stelter, he's CNN's chief media correspondent. Great to have both of you here. Brian, I remember in the hours right after this happened that CNN, that our bosses were were advising to pump the brakes a little bit because there were some things already that didn't add up. I was frankly surprised how many people jumped uh, on board to side with Jesse Smollett before there were photos, before there were police statements before all that stuff. And so how do you think this all, uh, what was the trajectory of how this went wrong? Yeah, the headline was so sensational and so disturbing. It first came out on TMZ, not only that Smollett said he'd been attacked, but that the attacker said, this is MAGA country. Obviously, Chicago at 2 in the morning is not MAGA country, so that didn't make sense in the first place. Lots of parts of the story didn't make sense, but activists, actors, Hollywood celebrities, friends of Smollett, Democratic presidential candidates, they all wanted to sound like they were doing the right thing, saying the right thing, standing up for a victim. Yeah. There's an inherent tension to, uh, in this story between uh, wanting and needing to believe victims and yet knowing that people can take advantage of that, taking advantage of the idea that it's important to, to, to believe victims. And I, that tension has been this story for weeks. There was a rush to judgment. I think it was mostly in the celebrity press and among activists and among Twitter people. Uh, I think it was a really careful reporting by news organizations. But it all gets lumped in together at the end of the day. It all gets lumped in together in the minds of many people who now look at this and say, what went wrong here? And obviously, at the end of the day, what went wrong is that he may have made it up. And ultimately, that's his responsibility. Uh, ultimately, that's right. But, Charles, I mean, it's understandable in a context to take a victim's word at first. But there does need to be due diligence. And I want to do two things here. One, I want to put this against the larger context of hate crimes in this country. Because in 2017, I believe it is, over 7,000 hate crimes in the United States. Uh, that was up 17% compared to 2016. So it's important to keep that in mind mm. as we confront uh, the possibility that this was a hoax. And, and it's not the only hoax of this kind of nature we've seen. We saw the UVA uh, reporting around with Rolling Stone did, uh, questions, stories out of the Air Force Academy, St. Olaf College. Um, so this is not undiscovered territory, but it raised the question against the backdrop of this being a real problem in the country. Hmm. What's the psychology of a hate crime hoax? Why would somebody do that? Because it diminishes the real instances so much. Well, I mean, right. I'm not a psychologist. I, I, I'll take a stab at this, though. I mean, sure. I, I think that uh, if he did this, and people who do this, I mean, I think you do have to find a villain who your target audience would believe. Hmm. And I think that in this case, if this is true, it was very believable that a gay man who could be gay bastard. The, the, if you take the celebrity out of this and if you dig down into your hate crime numbers, it is even more stark among people who are queer in this country. They are more likely to be assaulted, both sexually and not sexually, uh, and by everybody, including authorities. Uh, and they don't have the, 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 the platform. Uh, many of them are estranged from family, minimum ex, uh, experience kind of housing insecurity and food insecurity. They just don't have the voice. And so the, the big concern for me is whether or not it impacts those genuine victims and their ability or their willingness to come forward and say something happening. Because very often in cases of assault, sexual and not, there are no witnesses. There is, there, there is no evidence to preserve, and it is a, char- a question of character. And in this case, people were making a character judgment. Uh, uh, Jesse is very close to the character he plays on television. He is a musician. He is gay. He has, in his personal life, he has been involved in some very worthy 
kind of community actions, including most recently trying to save a, a historically black women's college in the South, Bennett College. He does that sort of thing. So if people were making a gut-level decision about, is this a character who I believe, why would he? The question of motive is still murky. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, so they're, they're also the yeah. fact that, they, that the surveillance cameras hadn't picked anything up, and, and that place was lined with surveillance cameras. I mean, there were some things that aroused suspicion. Well, that, well, well that's, I think Brian made an important point about, like, the collision of healthy skepticism yeah. with the historical truths that people are not generally believed on, on, on the phone. And when it becomes cynicism and when it becomes an excuse to ignore real crimes and real problems, then, then that's even worse. Uh, this is a mystery still, though. Why would he do this if he did? What is the motive? That remains a mystery, and the police say, we just need to talk to him. He sat down with Robert, yeah. Robin Roberts, um, I don't remember if it was last week. Yeah, last week. Yeah, last week. And he, she, you know, she pressed him on some of this, so watch this now. Who the make something like this up or add something to it or or whatever it may be? I can't I can't even I'm an advocate. I'm pissed off. What is it that has you so angry? Is it the the attackers? It's the attackers, it... but it's also the attacks. It feels like if I had said it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more, a lot more. And that says a lot about the place that we are in our country right now. Uh, it's more uncomfortable to watch Get it out. now, knowing all, all of the questions that the police have gone public with now. Yeah, I, I watched that last week, viewing him as an activist. Jail, I view it now, viewing him as an actor. And wondering about whether acting is a part of this, uh, because it, it is. If if he did orchestrate this hoax, um, you know, these two men who were in custody last week, they've cooperated, they've provided evidence to the police. So it's now in his court, and and we do need to hear more of his side of the story. As of Saturday night, his lawyers were saying he's the victim of a hate crime, so he was not changing his tune. No, that, that's important to note. But yeah. Charles, he also very quickly, even in that interview, is elevating it to an exemplar of a national conversation. Saying, this is about the ugliness of the national conversation, and I'm the victim of that. And, and, and that first performance back, I believe, in West Hollywood, saying, I'm, I'm going to come back from this. So by elevating it and making it a national metaphor, mm. what is he trying to communicate? If it's all at the bottom of, of, of a mean, hoax, not, not, not that you can yeah. get inside his head, but he's the one raising this to a national element, which, uh, elevating it to a national conversation, which makes the possibility of it being a hoax that much more devastating. Well, listen, if Jesse has done what the Chicago police say he has done, it's not just that he's an actor, Brian. This is an insane person. This is, this is a psychopath. Like, and, and, and there's nothing in his history that suggests that he's a psychopath. But why but that, that, that is why it's so hard for everybody. To, it, that's why people are waiting, trying to figure out, like, please go back and interview him, uh, Chicago mm -hmm. police. But we need to understand what, what's the motive, because... Nothing. I met him one time. He was the sweetest. It was just in passing at, the, at, at Essence Fest, and I was with a, 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 a girl who went to college, and so she's a big fan, and he, she had to have a picture. He was the most gracious person, and I think that that's the, the kind of feeling that people have on him. So if you did this, we need to know, like, are you crazy? Like, are you, did you literally, like, lose it? Or, because nothing is adding up about why he would do this. Well, one thing's for certain, this story why is not over yet. Why do this? One day, 
Washington, D.C. are actually starting to freak out a little bit because they realize that there is nothing they can do to help Donald Trump, and they've already hung him around their necks, so if he goes down, they're pretty much all going down with him. Now, obviously, last Friday when we had those court filings that listed Donald Trump as an unindicted co-conspirator, of course, assuming he is individual one, which he 100% is individual one, Republicans have been freaking out ever since all of that because they understand that the walls are closing in on Donald Trump. He lost his chief of staff. That guy's going to be out the door in just a few weeks. Nobody else wants to take that position. Overall, the White House itself is grossly understaffed, and the few people they have there do not have the talent and the wherewithal to actually do the jobs that they've been hired to do. In fact, according to a recent report in the Washington Post, uh, Republicans have been advising the president to set up basically a war room. They want him to set up a war room to deal with the Mueller investigation and all the reports that keep coming out of that, as well as all of the other investigations into Donald Trump. The Emoluments Clause lawsuit is moving forward rapidly, and that's going to be a huge headache for the president, as is the lawsuit and investigation in the state of New York with them misusing their charitable fund money. He doesn't have a way to deal with this. He doesn't have a, a war room, as Republicans call it, to sit down, talk about this, strategize, and come up with a plan. He doesn't even have the staff to have a proper war room of people coming up with responses and helping the president craft intelligent, well-thought-out talking points. Instead, according to this Washington Post piece, Republicans are saying the president is just trying to wing it. They have this, quote, bunker mentality, and they're all kind of huddled down there, terrified, scared, not knowing what's going to happen, but assured 
that they're going to be able to handle whatever is thrown at them. And they have already proven in the last week that they can't. I mean, Donald Trump gets on Twitter and freaks the hell out anytime any new information comes out from the special prosecutor's office, anytime a new lawsuit is filed against him, or anytime a senator says they disagree with him on something. This man cannot be trusted to properly handle the crises that he has created. On top of that, the trade wars are wreaking havoc on global markets. We have Americans losing their jobs. Job creation for November was a hell of a lot lower than they thought it would be. People are losing their jobs. Uh, bankruptcies among farmers are skyrocketing. Healthcare costs are skyrocketing with no, uh, nothing on the horizon to indicate those are gonna go down. Prescription drug prices continue to rise. There's no wall, so he let his base down with that, thank God. But nonetheless, this man has no accomplishments to show for it. The only thing he has is that massive Republican tax cut that benefited the top 1%. That's not enough for Republicans right now because they understand within the next six months, we are going to have a very clear idea, if not a finalized idea, of who is running for president on the Democratic side. We may also find out that there could be Republican challengers to Donald Trump himself. But this is it, folks, and I hate to say it because I hate this horse race BS, but we're already in the 2020 election here. People are going to start announcing that they're running within the next few months here. And then come August, September, October, we're going to be having Democratic primary debates. And then in one year, one year in like three, four weeks, we start primaries and caucuses. This is not that far away, and Republicans know it. And as the Donald Trump ship continues to sink, they know that they're the ones still on it. This is on them. They had the opportunity to do something about it. They could have invoked the 25th Amendment. Hell, based on the evidence we have right now, they could be the ones to impeach him and emerge as the heroes. But they're not going to do it. They're going to go down with the ship, and then they're going to blame Donald Trump for being the one that ruins the Republican Party, completely ignoring the fact that they have let him do it while saying nothing about this destruction. President Trump is showing you just how rattled he is right now. On the day he purged a top member of his administration and basically threw a 90-minute temper tantrum in the White House news conference, only hours after his party lost control of the House, he fired Jeff Sessions. Except the man famous for saying, you're fired for pretend on television, apparently couldn't say it himself. So here's what he does. He orders John Kelly to fire Sessions. He's a chief of staff, something the president has wanted to do ever since Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation. And now the former attorney general, who was the first senator to support Trump's campaign, reportedly wanted to stay just until the end of the week, but Kelly told him that he had to go and he had to do it today. So take a look at these pictures now. Quite the photo op, isn't it? Sessions leaving the Justice Department tonight to applause from his colleagues. Colleagues who are telling CNN that they learned about Sessions firing from news reports and of course, a tweet from the president. The pattern, Sessions leaving uh, with his replacement looking on. There's his replacement right there. See, that guy will talk about him. He's the acting attorney general, the now acting attorney general. His name is Matt Whitaker.
he has oversight of the Russia investigation. I want you to pay close attention to this, all right? This is what Matt Whitaker, this is what he told me in July of 2017 when he was a CNN legal commentator. Here it is. I could see a scenario where Jeff Sessions is replaced uh, with a recess appointment, and that attorney general doesn't fire Bob Mueller, but he just reduces his budget so low that his, his investigation grinds to a, absolute, almost a halt. So we know Matt Whitaker here. We, we had him on the show a number of times uh, around that time. Another guest who was on that, this show, who actually, on this show, who actually uh, was on set with Whitaker on June 19th. There's the photo right there. He posted this on Twitter today. This is from attorney John Q. Barrett about a conversation he says that he had in the green room before their joint appearance. Okay, he says, Whitaker told me in June of 2017 that he was flying out from Iowa to NYC to be on CNN regularly because he was hoping to be noticed as a Trump defender and through that to get a Trump judicial appointment back in Iowa. So much to talk about with that because he's not the only one who did it. Fake news, but they want to be on this fake news so that the president can notice them. So that really means fake if you want to be on so the president can notice. More proof, though, I say that the president watches me every night. So the man who is now in charge of the Russia investigation offered a blueprint for cutting the legs out from under that investigation nearly a year and a half ago. Seems tailor-made to appeal to this president. And he did it on television, according to John Q. Barrett, apparently deliberately in order to appeal to this president and get a job. He became the chief of staff for Jeff Sessions a couple months later. And now he is the most powerful law enforcement officer in the United States. Look at the power I have, everybody. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. A source close to President Trump telling CNN the, the idea of Whitaker ending or suppressing the Russia investigation, not an option right now. I don't know why anyone, why anyone would believe that or how long that will remain the case, but that's what they are telling us. So listen to what the president said during his news conference just today. Here it is. I could fire everybody right now, but you, I don't want to stop it because politically I don't like stopping it. But you're right. I could end it right now. I could say that investigation is over. Sounds like a threat, doesn't it? So let's talk about that uh, post-midterm news conference like nothing we have seen before. Remember when President Obama admitted that his party had gotten a shellacking? That's the word he used. Remember when uh, George W. Bush said he had gotten a thumping? None of that for President Trump. You just heard him threatening uh, the Mueller investigation. He also threatened reporters as well. So this is an angry exchange with CNN's Jim Acosta, NBC's Peter Alexander, full of down and dirty personal insults, simply because reporters are trying to do their jobs, which is to ask the president questions. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I, I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. in Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts his Well, I'm not a like big fan of yours either, so, I understand. You know, to be honest. So let, me, so let me ask you a question if I can. 
You repeatedly you said... Are, you are the best. Mr. President, you repeatedly, over the course okay, of... Okay, just sit down, please. I can be a white house correspondent. <laughs> they would have kicked me out a long time ago. And there's more. The president refused to answer a question from April Ryan. Sit down, please. Sit down. I didn't call you. I didn't call you. Hmm. April's going to be here later on in the show. I want to hear from her. The president calling a question from PBS, Yamish Alcindor, who is African-American, falsely claiming her question racist. On the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying that the president... I don't know why you'd say that. It's such a racist question. There's nothing racist about that question. Nothing at all. The president could have just answered, could have tried to explain his position. Instead, what do you do? That old tactic, when you can't really explain it, you attack the person who's doing it. He attacked the reporter. But the president did, um, he did just target did not just target reporters today. He also threatened Democrats if they step up their oversight of the White House, which is their job. But they can play that game, but we can play it better because we have a thing called the United States Senate. Hmm. He even threatened candidates from his own party who made the fatal mistake of not wanting Trump to campaign for them. You had some that decided to let's stay away let's stay away they did very poorly i'm not sure that i should be happy or sad but i feel just fine about it carlos cubella mike kaufman too bad mike mia love gave me no love and she lost too bad sorry about that mia That's the president. The fact is, Mia Love did not lose her race. Is still too close to call. Facts don't seem to matter much to this president. What matters to him is winning, adoration. When he doesn't get both, he lashes out.
from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 